So, this morning, um, I'm not very good at doing washing, so I was looking through my wardrobe and what am I going to wear? Oof, slim pickings, cargo pants. Meg's going to hate that if I walk out with cargo pants on. So I thought, let's lean into it. So I put the cargo pants on and look at myself in the mirror. I'm thinking, let's go boots as well. And then, you know, black t-shirt and... And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm going to go with an army style thing. I'm going to walk out, I'm going to say to Meg, what do I look like? She's going to say, a soldier. I walk out and say, Meg, what do I look like? Like you've just burgled our house. <laughs> so I went and I got this. This was my great grandfather's army jacket. I said, what do I look like now? She goes, mm. oh, come on. <laughs> so I said, right, I'm getting something from the shed. She, no, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. You can't take that to church. Fine, I'll take the knife out of it and I'll just take the sheath. Are you happy with that? <laughs> right, so we had a bit of a domestic, but we got to church on time. <laughs> anyway, does anybody know, I've sort of given it away, what this is? Scabbard. A what, sorry? Oh, he knows more than I do. That's embarrassing. <laughs> okay, there is a sharp blade that goes into this, and on the blade there's a little nozzle, and you put your rifle through it, and back in the ye old days... Um, this went on the end of a rifle. What was this used for? What sort of event was taking place when people used these? War. So this sits in the shed. Um, kind of special to me because I got it from my pop uh, before he passed away and it was his dad's. Um, but it sits on the shelf and it gets dusty. Now my question to you is, is it appropriate that it gets dusty? Yes, it's appropriate. Why? We're not at war. Well, some people might disagree or say, oh, politically we're at war or, you know, every time I have KFC there's a war goes on in my stomach. You might have different perceptions of war. But in a physical earthly sense, in this country we are not at war. What kind of war are we engaged in? Spiritual war. What does this do? That's the sword. So is it appropriate that this sits on the shelf and gets dusty? No. Nice, that went well. So if you don't have a Bible or a phone in your hand, could you please rectify that? The uh, Bible's on that table over there, and I think it's inappropriate if we don't have a sword in our hand right now. Go forth. Thank you. Anyone doesn't have a Bible, raise your hand. Throw it around like you just don't care. Excellent. Okay, I hope everybody's got a Bible then. You're going to help Dad. Good boy. Now, just out of curiosity, put your hand up if you think you're a youth. Well, we are all children of God, so um, yes, we are all youth. Now, through youth group, um, at the start of the year, we said, is there anything you want to know about? Rather than we just talk at you, what do you want to know about? Is there something that bothers you? Is there something you want answers for? Is there something you want to talk about? We might not be able to answer everything. Throw it at us, we'll write it down, and we'll see um, which ones we rather leave alone or, no, not really. Um, but we thought then as, as a leaders, um, how will we tackle this? So some of the things that came up were, where's God in suffering? 
Um, are all Christians anti-vax? You know, these are good questions. Young people aren't sure. Um, is homosexuality a sin? Or, you know, was that just something that Paul said? Um, you know, if God knows the beginning from the end, is there free will? We just got them to throw out every question they could possibly think about. And then we thought, how can we tackle that? So to start with, we thought, well, we need to provide a clear picture of who God is. So is God a snuggly, cuddly teddy bear that lets us do whatever we want and no skin off his nose if we do what makes us feel good? Well, we very firmly said, no, he is not because he cares too much to let us do that. He is not just good and kind and patient, but he is holy and just and righteous. So that starts to answer some of the questions. Then we said, okay, well, if that's who God is, what does he want for us? So we looked at, well, he wants a relationship with us. He wants us to have life and life in all its fullness and so on and so forth to lead towards, well, then what does God require of us? which then would hopefully answer some of the questions like sin and um, how we conduct ourselves in life. So today, I'm going to try and answer what God requires of us. And we're going to use our swords to find out the truth, because whatever you think you know, I'm sure you would be aware, might be influenced by society, might be influenced by culture, might be influenced by Satan might be influenced by you, might be influenced by your pride. So we're going to start at the end. Could you please turn to the last page in your Bible? Might be the second last page. We're looking for Revelation chapter 21 verse 6. I'll give you a minute to go there. Should be either the last page or the second last page. Revelation, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter 21, verse 6, and I'm reading from NLT. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God and they will be my children. I will be their God, and they will be my children. That's where we're going to arrive at at the end of what I've got to say today, but we're not there yet. Can anybody tell me who Jeremiah was? A prophet. What does a prophet do? Messenger from God, a mediator, someone who provides a word from the Lord, a warning, um, speaks what God has to say. Um, I want to start there because there's a few things in Jeremiah. Um, Don't worry about following me um, page for page with this, but we will come to something else in a minute. From Jeremiah uh, chapter 15, verse 9, it says, This is how the Lord responds. If you return to me... I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you. 
you will find if you read through the Old Testament, there is often a um, choice laid before people. Before, before you I lie, I lay life and death. Choose which way it will go. So first of all, we need to understand that we have a choice. So could everybody find the book Ezekiel? Ezekiel, Ezekiel. Um, should be about the middle-ish of your Bible. He was a major prophet. And we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 18. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Now I'm going to read, speed read, bits and pieces from the chapter because it's a long chapter. But I hope that you'll go home and read the whole chapter 18. So Ezekiel chapter 18, I'm going to skip through and do the quick version. Ezekiel chapter 18. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Why do you quote this proverb concerning the land of Israel? It says, The parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouths pucker at the taste. My understanding of that is the parents did something wrong and it bothered their conscience, tasted sour, but the children puckered for the taste. Kind of... Um, what, the, what I understand from the context of this, of this uh, book is that the children, they were saying, it's not our fault. We were born into this sin. My parents, well, they had a conscience. They can, they can be in trouble for what they did. But this comes naturally to me. I was born this way. So how dare you judge me for it? As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, you will not quote this proverb anymore in Israel. For all people are mine to judge both parents and children alike. And this is my rule, the person who sins is the one who shall die. Suppose a certain man is righteous, does what is just and right. He does not feast in the mountains before Israel's idols or worship them. He does not commit adultery or have, read it for yourself, but there's a whole bunch of things he does. And at the end of that paragraph, anyone who does these things is just and will surely live. Uh, sorry, all these things he doesn't do. Then in verse 10, but suppose that man has a son who grows up to be a robber, a murderer, refuses to do what is right, does all the evil things his father would never do. He worships idols, he commits adultery, he oppresses the poor, he steals from debtors, so on and so forth. Should such a sinful person live, no, he must die and take full blame. Verse 14, but suppose that sinful son in turn has a son who sees his father's wickedness and decides against that kind of life. The son refuses to worship, commit adultery, exploit the poor. Um, end of that paragraph, uh, such a person, person will not die because of his father's sins. So God through the prophet Ezekiel totally dispels the myth that either you die for the sins of the father or you are not guilty because you are born into sin. If we continue to verse 23 of the same chapter, do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Says the sovereign Lord, of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. Verse 25, yet you say the Lord isn't doing what is right. Listen to me, O people of Israel. Am I the one not doing what's right, or is it you? When righteous people turn from their righteous behavior and start doing sinful things, they will die for it. 
Yes, they will die because of their sinful deeds. And if wicked people turn from their wickedness, obey the law and do what is just and right, they will save their lives. They will live because they thought it over and decided to turn from their sins. Such people will not die. At the end of the chapter in verse 32... I don't want you to die, says the Sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. Now, I've got a question for you. What is death? Separation from God? Yeah, more specifically, what is death? Why do people die? Why do things die? Has anyone had a dog die? No one's had a dog die? Someone's had a dog die? Did you, when your dog died, was there a part of you that went, that's not right? That's not right. Why did this dog need to die? What... You know, have you ever heard people say death is a part of life? Do you see what's wrong with that? No, it's not a part of life. It's not life, it's death. Suffering's a part of life. Joy is a part of life. Joy is life. Death is not a part of life. Death is death. It's the opposite of life. Well, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. God is paying us what we are due When you sin, you earn wages. God is paying you for what you've done in in death. It shows us that God is so serious about sin. But we think lightly of it, so I'm going to change that. Could you please turn to the book of Matthew? Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. This is Jesus talking. Jesus who will save his people from their sins. Matthew 5:27 You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And we heard Thomas the other week talk about cutting off your hand if it causes you to sin. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus did not want anybody to go to hell. Matthew, no, Mark. We're going to move on to Mark now. So flip through to the Gospel of Mark. Mark 6, verse 12. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. The message the apostles took out, and no, it wasn't just to the Christians... It wasn't just to the non-Christians. The message is the same. It's been the same for 2,000 years. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. So we need to understand sin. Turn over to Mark 7, 20. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. And then he added, It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts. Let's, let's, just, let's just camp there for a second. Evil thoughts. Sexual immorality. Theft. Murder. Adultery. Greed. Wickedness. Deceit. Lustful desires. Envy. Slander. Pride. And foolishness. All these vile things come from within. 
Does our society think these things are vile? Do you get that impression when you watch a TV show and they desperately find any opportunity to glorify adultery, to put a shiny light on, on desires that have been unable to be fulfilled? Do you see slander as something our, our society considers vile? Or is, it, or is it funny? Do you see pride as something vile? Or is pride something that, you know, we fold up a flag and, and we honour these people when they were just people? Foolishness, is it vile? Or is it just part of life? Sin in the light of God's law is shown to be exceedingly sinful. No, it's not just lust. It's not just greed. It's not just selfishness. It's when we participate in sin, we are willingly contributing to the disease that is causing death in our world. When we sin and when we disobey God and when we are selfish and we slander people and we're greedy, we contribute to their being lost. We contribute to their death. Why would God want anything to do with someone who enjoys the disease that this world is sick with? Luke chapter 3 verse 8. And I want you to follow along and read it because it's not my words, it's God's word. And when society tells us that these things are good, we need to fight back because that's a war. Luke chapter 3 verse 8, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Luke chapter 13, start of the chapter. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No, and I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Jesus warned and warned and warned, repent. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. First Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery 
or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality. All who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I want to make a point here. It doesn't matter what you think is right. It doesn't matter what makes you feel good. It doesn't matter what you think you were born like or is natural for you. Because I could argue, well, it's natural for me to be a jerk. Kind of is, actually. It's quite easy. It's natural for me to get really angry in the traffic. That comes naturally to me. Does that make it a good thing? It's natural for me to want to eat all of the donuts and not leave any for Meg when I bought Krispy Kremes the other day. It's natural for me to be selfish, but it's not a good thing. No, we are called to pick up our cross, deny ourselves. God is the author of life and the author of right and wrong, and he decides what is right and what is wrong. One more before we move on to another thing. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Could you find that, please? 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is going to be towards the end of the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. We don't consider marriage sacred in our society. We don't consider obeying parents sacred in society. We don't consider respecting the creator of the universe as sacred. Verse 3, they will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others. The amount of slander I listen to in my workplace have no self-control. Look at the statistics of people that watch pornography. The statistics of people that are doing drugs in our society. Have a look at the statistics. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So sin is exceedingly sinful. We know this. So the question is, what does God require of us? One thing. Everything. That's all he requires. Everything. Everything. Like, not you're a Christian, but, you know, you're a mechanic, you're an IT person. You know, I identify as a Christian. Put that on my census. No, you're a Christian. Period. I nearly joined the um, Australian Defence Force when I was younger. Um, I was going to join the reserve band and play trumpet. But they made it very clear that you're not a trumpet player, you're a soldier. They said, you join the army as a soldier. Then you specialise as a musician. I didn't want to be a soldier. I didn't want to go and fight a war and shoot at somebody. 
but I entertained the idea of being a musician in the army. But that's not what they wanted from me. They didn't want a trumpet player. They wanted a soldier who was going to dedicate his life to their cause. I'm not a mechanic. I'm not a father. I'm not a husband. First, I'm a Christian. Then I'm a husband, a father, a mechanic, a friend, whatever you want to call it. Matthew, chapter 10, verse 37. Could you please find that one? Matthew, chapter 10, verse 37. If you love your father or mother more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Verse 40, anyone who receives you receives me. And anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you are given, if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. There are rewards for following Jesus. Mark chapter 8 verse 34. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And I want you to read it. There's no power in me. There's power in the words. God's sword. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Can you find the book of Colossians, please? Colossians chapter 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. It's not to be absent-minded and airheaded, but we are to have our heads in the clouds, aren't we? Think about heaven, be driven by heaven. Every moment of every day we need to be thinking about eternity, living 
in the light of eternity, living with the context of judgment, living with the context of reward. The people we live this life with are eternal beings. I heard someone say recently, and I can't quote who it was, but they said, you'll never meet just a mortal. You will never meet just a mortal. Every person you meet has an eternal soul, has a judgment day assigned by God. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honour and immortality that God offers. I listened to um, an evangelist, Ray Comfort, a lot, and um, he told a story. He was on an aeroplane, and this young lady um, was walking down the aisle towards him, and he noticed that on her T-shirt was the gospel message, and he evangelizes for a living, talks to everybody about God. So he thought, oh, well, he's a Christian. I'm just going to say nothing and see what happens. Let's put it to the test. So she sat next to him. He sat next to her on the plane for an hour. She said nothing, even though she had this gospel message on her T-shirt. So an hour into the flight, he taps her on the shoulder. She takes her earphones out. She's been listening to gospel music. And he says to her, how do I get to heaven? She looked at him and said, well, you don't want to go to hell. Put her earphones back in and kept listening to her gospel music. I don't know if anyone here has heard of Penn and Teller, um, the magicians. Um, I think it's uh, Penn is the tall guy, if I got that right. Anyway, the tall one, not the short one, um, was quoted for saying he's an atheist. He said, I don't respect Christians that don't proselytize. I can't say that word. I don't respect Christians who don't share their faith. He said, how much would you have to hate somebody to know without a doubt that there is eternal life and not tell them. It's food for thought, isn't it? I wonder how many people are going to stand before God on Judgment Day and think, oh man, if I had another year, I would tell so many people. I'd bring another 50 people in here with me. But it's too late. You had the chance. My question for you is, are you ready to meet God today? If the rapture happened right now and we all stood before God and he opened up a book and said, you can see all the things you did here. Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Why'd you put your earphones back in when someone asked you how to get to heaven? Why'd you slander your workmates? Why is there dust on your sword? Why can I take my finger and write the words hell in the dust on your Bible? I'm sorry to be harsh with you, but reality is this, is, this is how Jesus thought. Jesus talked about hell and he begged people not to go there. It is better for you to lose a part of your body than be thrown into hell. So, we need a bit of good news, don't we? We're all so silent. I think I've scared you a little bit. Okay, we need some good news. So, what does God require of us? 
He requires everything. And what does it look like? It looks like being his children. So we read Revelation, yeah? We saw the most beautiful, exciting picture that we're all waiting for is the day when God will be our God and we will be his children. Well, how do we get there? Well, it starts in Luke. Can you find the Gospel of Luke, please? Luke, chapter 6, verse 35, and I want everybody to read this. Luke, chapter 6, verse 35. I'll give you a few more seconds to find it. Luke 6.35, love your enemies. Now, don't hear this without thinking about it, please. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. Why? For he is kind to those who are unthankful, and wicked, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. You know, one day my son Robbie's going to go to school, and in the schoolyard, I imagine there will probably be a moment where another kid comes up to him and says something nasty, gives him a push, something happens. If he lashes out back, I'd probably say, hmm. Fair enough, understandable, but I wouldn't be proud of it. But if he chooses to be kind anyway, or forgiving, or you know, the teacher brings that kid over and says, apologize to Robbie for what you did, and, and they make amends, I'd say that's my son. Because, not saying that I'm perfect, but I aim to be loving and forgiving to those who don't deserve it. Why? because that's the nature of who I aspire to be. The nature of God is to be loving and forgiving to those who don't deserve it. It's not something he does because it feels good, feels right, comes, well, might come naturally to God. I'm not sure about that one. But he does it because that's his nature. So when I'm kind to people, hopefully I'm kind to people who don't deserve it, that's because that's my nature as I take on the nature of Christ. So if Robbie was to be kind, I would say he was kind because that's become his nature to be kind. He didn't get anything out of it. Probably didn't feel good. But it's who he's become. So he's become my child. When we take on the nature of Christ, we become his children. And he looks at us with pleasure. The Bible tells us that it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Uh, it says that in Luke 12. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. And I might just read through a few quickly. Don't stress about following. Luke 12, 21. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Luke 10.20, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. John 14.27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Loving your enemies will not 
This is not a Disney story where there's an example given of bullying, then there's an example given of someone showing love that was undeserved, and then there's beautiful restoration of relationship. You might love your enemies and they just treat you worse. You don't do it because you know it's going to work for you. You know it because God will, you do it because God will be pleased with you. And because you are acting as children of the Most High, you have the promise that I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Peace because you have humbled yourself before God and you've been washed clean. You will have peace in your conscience. You will have peace in your heart. Peace because you know your name is registered in heaven. Peace because you know that God dwells within you. So as you live in this world, it's not just you trying to reach lost, but it's God's spirit who cares more about the lost than you do, helping you to reach the lost. In Romans 2 verse 6, it says, He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. That is our hope. And it gets more exciting from here. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly awaiting. I want to ask you again, are you ready? If God comes back in this moment, what is your response going to be? I would like to think that if I'm in the generation that witnesses the rapture, then when he walks in, or when I stand in his presence, my response is, yes, finally, been waiting for this. I'm ready. Let's go. Yes. Flip a table, something. But actually, a lot of people's response might be, I knew this was coming, didn't I? Should have been watching, shouldn't I? Missed my chance, didn't I? Um, listen to Keith Green, Summer Snow. Just listen to that song. Keith Green, Summer Snow. Look it up. Hebrews 12, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? As his children. He said, make, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Don't be sad if you feel convicted by what the Bible calls sin. Don't be sad if you're upset by it. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Now, I had, to, I had to tell Robbie off for something one day and he didn't like it. But as he turned away, I smiled because I knew that that was a good opportunity to teach him. And I knew that even though he didn't enjoy being told no, it was really good for him to hear no. And, you know, after he was a little bit sad and then we encouraged him again, how about you do this instead for a while? And he came over and had a cuddle and I was pleased. I was pleased that he listened to what I said and I was pleased that I had the opportunity to teach him. You know, when God disciplines us and we feel convicted, he smiles. Because godly sorrow leads to repentance. Without conviction, there cannot be repentance. So God comes down hard on us, doesn't he? He comes down hard and he convicts us so that we will have life. He cares too much to always be gentle. He cares too much to not tell us the truth. And there will not be a point where people say to God, 
why didn't you try to give me eternal life? Say, you know I tried to give you eternal life. You can say that about other people. There will be people on Judgment Day that look at the Christians and go, you never told me. But no one will look at God that way because he loves people too much. James 1.27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Don't be so arrogant to think that Satan can't corrupt you. Oh, I can watch that show, but I can, I can just ignore those bits. You know, every show has those bits. If, if we turned a blind, if we, if we turned off the TV every time we thought, saw something evil, we'd never watch TV. And God doesn't want us to never watch TV. If I didn't hang out with these people and, you know, if I said something when they were doing these behaviours, then, then who would have the chance to, to shine a light in their life? How brightly are you shining? Refusing to let the world corrupt you is pure and genuine religion. You know, and I want to remind you, Jesus didn't just go to prostitutes and down and out people and sit with them. He came for those who knew they were sinners. If they didn't know they were sinners, there was different. You know, we, we, we sometimes we read the Gospels and then we, we give ourselves these allowances. Oh, you know, Jesus was kind to these wicked people, so I'm going to go make friends with wicked people. No, Jesus was kind to those who already knew they were sinners. He didn't need to tell them what they'd done wrong because they were already convicted. God opposes the proud but shows grace to the humble. So when somebody comes humbly and they've already been convicted, yes, you welcome people in no matter how dirty and filthy they look. You embrace them. They know it. They don't need you to tell them. But if somebody does not have a contrite heart, if they are not godly sorrow for their sin, they need opposition. They need the law. They need to be told that they need saving. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride is a wicked sin that will keep so many people from life. And so we arrive at the good news. Revelation 21 Verse 6, and he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, to all who want life, to all who know they are sinners, to all that humble themselves, to all that let go of their life and don't hold on to it, to all those that put others first. To all those that seek God and seek truth. To all those who love righteousness and have their character turned to reflect the nature of Christ. For all those that build his kingdom. For all those who accept the sacrifice of Jesus. For all those who've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus who paid for your death in his blood. I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Death is not a part of life. Death is punishment. Death is what's due to you for sin. Death is the result of the sin-sick disease of this world. Real life in heaven will not have death. 
death has no part in life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. And it will be his great pleasure to know his children for all of eternity. Is it appropriate that this gets dust on it? How long does it take for dust to settle? Two days? If there is dust on your Bible, then while there has been a war going on around you and people are dying, you spent two days not caring. You spent two days with your sword in its sheath. You spent two days not loving people and not acting as children of God. Shame on us when there is dust on our swords. We forget the reality we live in. Might just pray for us. Father God, I pray for conviction of our sin. I pray that the godly sorrow we feel would lead us to repentance. I pray that we would desire you. And when we see that Jesus came to us undeserving, ungrateful, unloving, that because of his nature, he laid down his life that we could become children of God. I thank you that he suffered an awful death so that we don't have to. I thank you for Jesus and I pray that as we consider what Jesus did for us, we would then commit everything to you. As you require us to be your children and to give you everything, I pray that we would do that cheerfully, joyfully, knowing that that comes with eternal life and that anything less is not worthwhile. I pray for courage, that as we seek to please you and to be your children, that perhaps the TV just needs to go outside. Perhaps our phones don't need internet. Perhaps we don't need to do the things that we know are eating away at our soul and we have stopped thinking of them as vile. I pray that when the opportunity comes and somebody asks how to get to heaven, that we would be filled with joy. And I pray, Lord, that if Jesus comes back this afternoon, that every person here would be excited and ready and would welcome his presence and say, yes, Lord, I was ready and I'm so pleased that you're here. I've been waiting for you. I've been watching for you. Lord, I just commit all of us to you. We're not perfect. Thank you that you loved us. Teach us to be your children. Deliver us from evil. 
and give us life eternal. Let death and Satan not have a place in our lives and not have a grip on us anymore. And let us see that moment that you've told us about in Revelation. In Jesus' name, amen.